every time you do a trailer read, you have to be like, nope, this is how it's supposed to sound. If you don't like it, screw you, but this is what it is. <laughs> Getting feedback from someone, choosing not to take it personally, is actually very freeing. And I find for me that I do the worst when I'm trying to give somebody what they want. It's like the modern version of the, the two people inside of a horse. <laughs> Times are changing. We want different voices. We want different races. We want more female voices. I think it's a beautiful thing. And there is something about the strength in numbers that has been really emboldening. Lying on the floor, flopping around like a <laughs> like a fish for 45 minutes. We work in isolation booths. So if we, want, if we don't want to be isolated, we should leave those booths. Never think, uh, I hope he asks me to be, hope he pitches me to whoever it is. Like, if you think that way, then you're just trying to use people. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God, that's him. Wow, you got the part. Hired on the spot. Yeah. He pilots my meat suit. I've only heard really bad things about Jamie. Instead of trying to figure out how to get into it, I just brought a bunch of people together that none of us knew the industry. Stop wiping expectations on any audition. As soon as you start telling stories and having actors touch people's heads and hearts with their performances, you're going to have people that are going to want to connect to the people behind those voices. You're going to get a lot more no's than you get yeses, and I, that's true for me today. Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast. This is our second episode back. I want to thank everyone for listening to the first one that came out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that was the live panel from Vocation Conference. Uh, had a lot of comments, a lot of positive comments and um, a lot of good feedback on that and a lot of downloads, which is always nice. Now today we're switching gears and we're talking about something very important and something that doesn't get talked about an awful lot. And that's racial identity as it relates to voiceover and how that influences the industry, particularly if you're a person of color. So we have two fantastic guests on. I'm, I've been trying to get these people on the podcast for a while, um, and it finally worked out with scheduling and all that kind of stuff because they're both incredibly busy. So uh, thank you both to them. And those people are <laughs> Mara Juno, who is all over the airwaves. <laughs> She's in video games and promo and commercials and things. She's an incredibly talented and very, very successful voice actor. And Tiffany Copeland, who is a bit more up and coming. She hasn't been doing voiceover for a huge amount of time, but she is incredibly talented and she's done some great work. And also, she has a really great podcast. It's the Black Girl Voiceover World podcast. And you can find that on iTunes and iHeartRadio and Stitcher and all the usual places. But today's episode was kind of a follow-up to an episode that she released back in February, which is called Blackface in VoiceOver, which I believe is episode number six. So if you want a bit of a primer before we start this episode, I would recommend you go and listen to that. It's 15 minutes long um, and it uh, covers a lot of ground. You don't have to listen to that to to understand what's going on today, but uh, it might be an, a nice little additional thing and you should definitely sign up to her podcast anyway. Now, both of them did an incredible job in this interview. I'm so privileged that they were able to come on and speak to us about this subject. It's incredibly important, and it's incredibly important to hear their viewpoint, which is why I basically introduced them, and they just sort of got to it, and they talked about the subject in depth from their perspective uh, individually and the subject as a whole. 
I'm so proud of this one. I'm so proud of this episode, mainly because I didn't have much to do with it. <laughs> um, but I really hope you get a lot out of it. I know that you will. So without further ado, here's a quick ad, and then we're going to get straight into the interview with Mera and Tiffany. The National Zoo. <laughs> because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot in Spain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. It is my pleasure today to be joined by Mera Juno and Tiffany Copeland. Hello, both of you. Hello, Hello. there, Jamie. Hey, hey. I'm so excited to be talking about this today. Now, I say I'm going to be talking about this, but I'm not really going to be talking very much. <laughs> and I'm thrilled for that to be the case. Um, now, we came up with a name for this episode, and it is Racial Identity in VoiceOver Dash is there a place for race? Which I like the name. I think it's cool. It explains things well. I love that. Yeah. So first off, Tiffany, I want you to kick things off because you put out an episode of your podcast at the beginning of the year that really got the ball rolling on a discussion that has been simmering and came to a head a couple of weeks ago. So why don't you tell listeners about your podcast and where they can go to listen to this episode particularly, and then give us a brief synopsis before we jump in. Definitely. It was titled Blackface in VoiceOver, and it's a part of my Black Girl VoiceOver World podcast. You can find it pretty much anywhere on iTunes, Google Play Store, uh, iHeartRadio, anywhere you listen to podcasts. You know, that episode was very different from what I usually do, right? Mm -hmm. So I have um, interviews with other uh, VOs and agents. Usually, that's how it goes, but there was... There was something about that episode that made me extremely vulnerable, and mm-hmm. it was my most present episode because I remember feeling exposed as I was behind the mic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to take breaks. It's almost like I had a conversation with someone while I was recording this episode, and it just really tackles things that I have been dealing with as a Black girl in um, school in the workplace, you know, trying to figure out where my actual voice fits. Mm. Um, Early on in voiceover, I started having conversations with people about what it sounds like when you go into into the booth versus what it sounds like when you're at work and how how things are different. When you get behind the mic, you get told to be yourself, but it's hard. It's, It's hard to do as a black woman. Mm. with all of the different layers that we have to put on, all the code switching that we have to put on. So that's a whole big thing in itself. But yes, that episode was was my most vulnerable one. And I think it really it started the conversation for everybody. It even goes beyond race. It started the conversation about uh, feeling validated and, and really tackling things that you've been carrying around that affect every single thing you do, even all the way up to, to voiceover. Yeah. I mean, it was a wonderful episode. I mean, I'm a white male guy, <laughs> and I was moved by it. You know, I can't imagine what it meant to people in that in your community. Um, so I'm going to take a step back because uh, no one wants to hear my commentary on this subject. <laughs> Most of all, me. <laughs> it's all welcome. <laughs> Definitely, it's a conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
I'm all about listening and I know our listeners are going to get a huge amount out of it. So, Mera, why don't you kick things off? What what was your reaction to Tiffany's episode? And maybe you can start to talk about this subject more broadly. Oh, well, first off, I just I just wanted to commend Tiffany for her bravery. Um, mm. You know, Thank I you. you know I know you're fairly new to to doing voiceover mm-hmm. and everything, and so it takes so much courage to even open up that dialogue, but especially when you're at the very beginning of your career and you're trying to get established and you're trying to play nice with everyone mm-hmm. and we don't want to rock the boat too much <laughs> and everything, so the idea you know that she had the bravery to just put this out there and say, you know, this is something that needs to be said. This is a conversation that, you know, it's a, it's becoming an elephant in our in our virtual room, as it were. And I want to get this conversation started. I just, I, I cannot tip my hat enough and in and, and gratitude that we have had this conversation because it is so important. And, you know, it made me really reflect on my own experience getting into voiceover. I mean, I've been doing this full time now myself for a little over 11 years. And I remember when I first got into the industry, I was a bit terrified because, you know, as you may or may not (laughs) pick up from listening to my voice, uh, I don't necessarily have what a lot of people have considered a traditional black sound, you know, however you interpret that. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people, you know, I was a radio DJ for over seven years uh, on a country (laughs) station for starts, (laughs) um, among other stations. But, you know, I cannot tell you how many of the the listeners thought I was some blonde-haired, blue-eyed DJ. Um, and so when I decided to pursue voiceover as a career, I was really terrified about, well, what does it, who am I going to have to be to identify myself to African-American audiences that yeah. I belong in this community? I literally had a client once who, you know, a, a Caucasian client, and he was just like, I, I don't know how to ask this. I, d- I don't know, you know, this is really uncomfortable for me, but can you find a way to, you know, verbally identify yourself in a way that Black audiences will realize that a Black, you know, talent is having a conversation with them because otherwise, mm. you know, it, that can create a gap. And so that really got into my head and you know, I remember having conversations with with some other Black voice talent about, you know, how do I sound Black or do I sound Black enough? What does that mean? Right. It, you know, it's it's a whole, <laughs> it's, it's it a is. head trip. It, it yeah. is a head trip, Mary, yeah. because they are not Black. The people who are telling you to sound, right. they're not wanting to come out and say sound more Black. But I like how you put that, how you identify, because we are trying to, in essence, embody what their idea of a black person sounds like. Now, how Absolutely. can we do that? Absolutely. I mean, you know? even as an actress, there is there's a way to act, but then you have a a set of rules. You have a set of uh, characteristics that you're that you're wanting to play. But when you have to get in someone's head and and then give them what they think of, that can't happen because you're an individual. Absolutely. You know, and and the limitations that we have with just using our voice, we have to find creative ways to you know, like the client indicated, to be clear that we are addressing a very specific audience and that we are a member of that very specific audience, but that can the rules can totally vary in the client's head in terms yeah. of what that should sound like. <laughs> that's you know, that's something else because then you you're you're left to try to figure out, okay, well, am I sounding black enough? And and you right. have we've had to deal with that 
Anyway, Mara, I was told I sound like a white girl all through school. Right. Same thing. Same thing. My my father was an English professor. My mother, you know, always had excellent diction. And I remember Mm -hmm. when I moved to the South from, from Illinois, it was a it was a wake up call. I was told that because I spoke properly, that that was equated with speaking white, mm-hmm. and I just saw it as speaking proper English. But you know that was always kind of a, a cultural sort of thing. Is that you know somehow we're supposed to modify our speech in a way that's that's broken or something to indicate our blackness, which I I've never agreed with. You know, I think that's that's part of the problem. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. What you just said is is. I mean, when the client, when you were told to identify yourself as someone who could respond to the, I mean, what is it? How can we, what is it there that would make us respond? We have so many talents as as a black culture. We are professional code switchers, honey. We get to work and we turn on what we need to turn on and we turn yep. on that soft, high-pitched voice, and yep. <laughs> depending on where we are, the pitch gets higher and higher, and we sound more friendlier. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so we can switch it up, you know. <laughs> then we're at home, and we're like, girl, because we, <laughs> we, we, we need to make everybody who cares about us and who's close to us understand that we're still Black. So we <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. But you here's know, the, here's the thing, Mara, because... I think it's interesting. I I realized quickly, because like you mentioned, I've only been in voiceover for two years now. Yeah. Um, And when I came in, I'm at the tail end of my career journey. You know how you go up the career ladder and then you realize there's nowhere else to climb. Right. Then you switch over to something else. That's really where voiceover came in. I was working from home. And so at this point in my life, I really want to do stuff that makes me feel like what is important to me is being heard. Because so many years in the workforce, in corporate America, we don't get the promotion that we want. We end up training people that we see promoting past us. (laughs) We get told by the people on the phone we sound too black. Or it's just, it's like this never-ending ball game that we don't even know the rules to. Absolutely. You know, and, and you're exactly right. It does feel like a set of rules. Whereas, you know, the average person, no matter what race you are, you know, I feel like we all have different identi- identities. You know, you're you're not the same person with your boss as you are with your spouse, as mm-hmm. you are with your kids, as you are with someone on the street, as you are with the best friend. You're completely different people in a sense, in certain ways. And when it comes to casting in this industry, sometimes, you know, we're trying to figure out, okay, well, which version of me do you feel is the real me? <laughs> and is that black enough for you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> Girl, listen, I had this one audition and I was really feeling myself. You hear me? I was <laughs> in this closet like, yes, I channeled my Tiffany Haddish and everything. You know, yes, indeed. My hands are going back and forth. My hip. <laughs> you got to bring it all in the booth. Nobody's looking, right? That's you right. Put it in the mic and leave it there. That's Hope right. They hear you. <laughs> But I did all of that. And then my agent said, I think the client wants a lot more attitude. Do you think you have it? Yeah. Do you think you have it? Really? So, (laughs) so then it's, you know, we get told not to have our feelings. It's, you know, work is work, business is business. But there's something very special about voiceover that marries your your emotion with your job. That's why we become effective. That's why we can be yes. heard 
over the mic. And that's how people can feel us because we have to have that emotion. It's important to what we do. Absolutely. I mean, as actors, the only way you can get authentic performances from us is if we bring a significant portion of our personality and who we are to the background of that that copy or that character you know what what gets us the gig is bringing enough of ourself to bring that sense of authenticity and so when somebody is coming back and saying yeah that wasn't authentic enough for me <laughs> it, it hurts it really does hurt absolutely absolutely you know one thing it's done though for me um being at this stage i realized that i didn't even know what my authentic voice was oh yeah been there and, still there <laughs> yeah and i'm thankful to the pressure that all the the ignorance has created you know right. all the comments because then i went on a journey i'm like okay well what how different do i sound at home right than when i get behind the mic because we have this idea of this is how you sound in a professional environment right so when we start voiceover that's what we do we start with that voice Absolutely. You know, we we start with the voice that we hear every day and that's that's kind of part of the the conundrum for us. It's mm -hmm. like we see what has traditionally booked all of these years, you know, when you turn on the television, typically the voices that you hear are the more polished, yes. you know, voices that tend to be associated more with the quote-unquote Caucasian sound. And so we are trying to make a living at this just like everyone else. And yeah. we feel like that's the pocket that we're supposed to be sitting in. But then all of a sudden, when it's something that's specifically cast for the African-American, you know, audience, it's like, no, turn all that off. Now we want you to, you know, <laughs> be more, quote unquote, sassy or spicy or, you know, <laughs> to take it further ghetto mm -hmm. or urban and, you know. Urban, urban. Yeah. Oh, my God, urban. Oh. Yeah. I, I've, I've started to latch on to the urban term in, in my branding simply because that seems mm -hmm. to be the way buyers find us. That's true. And, yeah. and that's unfortunate that we have to have that box. Because urban can actually go beyond your skin color. Absolutely. I Absolutely. Mean, I wouldn't are... consider myself from a, a traditionally, quote unquote, urban background. You know what I mean? And it, that yeah. feels inauthentic to me just to market myself that way to a degree. Yeah, because... It really is about your upbringing. Right. So when, what, what I think what they're not understanding is that it, that whole fact that it does, it does have a lot to do with our upbringing. And if we have been trained to not appreciate our black voice, even, even in yeah. our communities, we get told we sound ghetto. Oh, yeah. From, so you got, you have that on that end and then at work. So then when we come to voiceover, they're saying, be yourself. It's the it's the most confusing thing you've ever heard. How are we going to be? We don't even know who we are. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and we live in an era now where, I mean, I, I remember seeing a, a Time magazine uh, cover a couple of years ago, and it showed what the face of America is going to look like just in like the next 20 years. And there's so much integration happening and so much racial mixing happening and I think it's a wonderful thing but it really creates even more question of well now how black am I I mean I myself I'm Louisiana Creole I'm I used to joke that I'm I'm Heinz 57 I'm I'm kind of a, a blend of a lot of different things but I can't market myself as a as a creole voice talent you know I'll get cast for maybe once every 5 years mm. for the occasional person looking for some time. caribbean voodoo voice or something you know <laughs> nobody's looking for that so I have to market myself as as far as what 
what I am perceived as identifying with. But yeah, that just, it cre- it opens up this whole can of worms of, well, how much of my quote unquote race is supposed to define this predefined sound and expectation and and where does that belong? I mean, I, I've literally had some people give me a scale of, you know, more Claire Huxtable and less Tiffany oh, wow. Haddish. You oh. know what I mean? It's, oh. And it's helpful to a degree, you know, but at the same time, that just kind of illustrates the sort of things that we have to juggle in our head in terms of our identity. Oh, my gosh. Claire Huxtable. Now, I hadn't heard that word. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that name come up in casting. I mean... <laughs> Wow, that's creative. Right, right. It's 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 you know politically correct, I guess. I don't know. It's not a super modern reference, is it? <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. I mean, what do we want to are we now talking about age range when we talk about are we talking about sounding like a Claire Huxtable age range or are we talking it's all about the that. tone? Yeah. What kind of black was she? Was she uppity black? You know? Right. <gasps> wow. Right. Well, you know, here's the good thing. I remember you mentioning about listening to the commercials and yeah, trying to figure out where we fit. This is what I love. Okay. Issa Rae is the voice of Google Assistant. Okay. And that, you know what that does is it, it lets me hear what I speak to my friends. It gives me a reason to talk like I do at home to my best friend because it's now being cast. The real black girl voice is now being cast. All this controversy surrounding my podcast, it, it, I've heard people say, well, it's voice acting. You know, sure. why is it that big a deal? Because it's voice acting. Well, when you have a complete persona, and I've actually, I saw, I saw a blog post today that really talked about the fact that if you're in VO, you do have a choice. You can show your face. Right. Or you can choose not to. You can choose to have a caricature. But if you've noticed that it's crossing a line and causing uncomfortability and making making everything sensitive and, and it's it's addressing, it's kind of, it's ruffling feathers. And then you ask yourself, what kind of person do I want to be? Right. At the end of it all, what kind of person do I want to be? And I think being a voice actor does give you the flexibility to be who you want to be. It does. It goes back to who you are. It's just, that's just, it's who you are. You can't hide your authenticity. Right. When you're behind that mic. Right. Tiffany, you mentioned a little while ago about um, characters that you're starting to associate with. Um, How important then is it that there's diversity in the writer's room and casting spaces and directors and things like that to this actually playing out? That's a very good question. It's crucial. Mm. I mean, we can talk about when it comes to models and black actresses when they go on set, how they're not represented when it comes to have people knowing how to fix their hair, knowing how to do their makeup. I think if we were in the room, when it comes to casting, there would be a, a better understanding as to what you don't say. I mean, there's... <laughs> <laughs> There's some things that you just don't say. And then when when you walk in there as as a young actor, it may be your first thing. It may it may be your first role. It may be something that you're you're very sensitive, but you walk in and you see someone who looks like you. Right. And if we're I do a lot of research. So if I'm going, we don't really see each other with voiceover casting. I do a lot of research and I go and look up the casting agency or I look up, try to look up who I'm working with. And if you see someone that looks like you, you just have this confidence. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. We already have enough nerves going into the booth anyway. We have to be told, hey, listen, you've been booked for the job. You know, just just relax. We already have enough nerves. Right. There's something about knowing that someone can relate to you. Absolutely. Mm. It puts you at ease and then you can do your job better. Absolutely. You know, and and frankly, too, I mean, it just makes sense. I mean, we live in a country that is not all one race. So why on earth would, you know, the writer's rooms not reflect what the country looks like if you're trying to address the needs of, you know, the the, the audiences? Um, you know, for so long, you know, we have targeted one specific race in the media in terms of addressing Mm -hmm. needs and everything. And of course, people are people at the end of the day, you know, we all, you know, love our families and, 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 you know, have certain things that are in common, but culturally there are simply just differences that need to be addressed sometimes that we would have no idea of addressing by putting, by pretending to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, the, the shoes of another culture and assuming that we immediately know what that experience is like, what the needs are are like. I mean, we're we're not simply not all on an equal playing field yet. I wish we were. It would be great if we were all treated equally and everybody if we were in a post-racial society as we would love to pretend that we are, but mm-hmm. as as the statistics show, you know, particularly in the past few years, not to get political, but we have seen there has been huge divides. Um, you know, when it comes to racial tensions and and you know identifying what is a, a what is white, what is black, what is where people stand, and I, I just feel like if you don't have the voices in the room representing the voices you're trying to speak to, you're being auth- inauthentic from the start. Yes, and and it creates an it creates a fake environment. Absolutely. You're asking for actors to come in and be real in a fake environment. Right. That, that's backwards. I mean, and, and it goes beyond race. We have, I mean, I was filling out an application just recently and saw in the sex section, non-binary. Yeah. Okay, now, it, this thing is big. What happens when we have to relate to someone from the LGBTQ community? Yeah. What do we do? How? How are we going to talk to them in the booth? Exactly. Mm. You know, this is huge because then, I mean, I'm thinking (laughs) I have some very fun stories (laughs) in the booth. There was this one time it was a PSA um, for AIDS. So we just assume that the person, this is the ignorance that comes through on your headphones. We just assume that that person's gay. Yep. And the engineer specifically said, hey, you, you, you know, because I clearly wasn't being black enough or gay enough. <laughs> wow. <laughs> see how you see it's bigger than race, you yeah. know? So he goes, well, you know, there's this one guy that's come to mind, you know, it, it, it was on TV. It was Martin. And then, yeah, Shin, Shin, I was like, Shanene? Oh, my God. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Be, be Shanene. Be Shanene. This, yes. And there it is. <laughs> there it is. I mean, it's no wonder that you're going to have a hard time finding your voice in this environment when the characters are so stereotypical and so one-dimensional. Very one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's that's the problem is we are being asked to be, we are literally being asked to play the role 
of the very stereotypes that we have spent generations now trying Thank to you. combat. Mm-hmm. You know, you. <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it's like Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and, and so many others did not fight the good fight for us to be in 2019 described as ghetto or thugs <laughs> or, or, or street right. characters. You know what I mean? It, it's like this this instant association of of black equaling underprivileged or or ghetto or or all of these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's so hard because here we are trying to, of course, get our paycheck and do our jobs. Yes, you know, it's like being a model, right? You know, you're not supposed to argue about the fashion you're wearing. You're just like the walking hanger. So we're trying to do our job, but at the same time, it's like you're you're literally asking me from an outside perspective to fulfill this very stereotype that is not what we want to represent. You're you're exactly right, Mary. And, and you know what happened is we had that time in what, the 80s and the 90s when we were, you know, getting professional and we're realizing what kind of voice we need to put on, period. Yeah. And it separated us from our friends. And and now we were deemed uh, uppity or, yep. you know, sadiddy with our friends. And then yep. that created a hole. It created a gap, an unmet need. So here we are, how many years later? And now, between that time and now, the voiceover community, very, very crafty women, have realized there is a hole that's been created. Yep. They've had conversations with their agents and they've they've tweaked how they sound black, you know, and they've they've been able to somehow audition for roles because this is voice acting, right? You don't really have to be black. Right. So they... They're on the same casting calls as Black women. Exactly. That's a problem. Absolutely. So I am problem. going up some, I'm going up against someone. This is already a competitive in- industry. Yeah. As it is. So I'm going up against someone who's not Black for a Black voice. Right. That's different. So blind casting does something different. I mean, that even happens with, with just the acting world when we're just saying, oh, well, let's just, the same as saying it's just voice acting, but it 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 no. it it hurts. It creates something that makes people feel like they can't truly be effective because you're Absolutely. only one human being. Absolutely. But that's that one thing when I found out because I do a lot of research, like I said, and I look at <laughs> sometimes sometimes they slip up and put names. Oh you yeah. You see the the email goes out and it's just the person, just the agent's name. Yeah. Because everybody, 30, 40, 50 people or more on the, well, they said the names. And I said, wait a minute. Right. This girl is not black. Yeah. And what makes it worse is when those non-black talent are booking the jobs. Thank you. That are requesting these stereotypes of us that we're we're trying to make a statement. You know, we're trying to take a stand and say, you know, maybe I don't even want to audition for this because mm-hmm. this doesn't represent what I th- feel would be a good reflection you know, an accurate reflection of our community. And so we're trying to make a statement and and maybe step back from it. And meanwhile, you know, someone from the majority, you know, (laughs) Caucasian talent is going to jump in and say, oh, I'll do that. I'll play that quote unquote character for you. Mm -hmm. And that's where the idea of blackface comes in, even more so when they identify in a way that makes people think that they that's who they really are in real life, that no, I'm not a white actor. I'm this is me. And you you found the right talent for your needs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thank God you hired me. It's 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 
on so many levels, the repercussions of it are are just so damaging. It's it's terrible for the agent, you know, for their reputation and the risk that they take with that client who, in most cases, I would assume, are actually trying to do a diverse hire and hire authentic African-American or minority talent. And so they think they're doing the right thing and spending their dollars in that community and, you know, hiring an authentic person to represent to the audience that they're trying to reach. And meanwhile, there's a complete fraud going on. I've spoken with casting directors who are livid about this, who had no idea. And it's like, you're putting their careers on the line as well and their reputation for doing their due diligence of finding the right person for the job and an authentic person for the job. Um, mm-hmm. it, it just, it ripples in, in so many ways. Yes. And, and of course, the fact that these opportunities don't exist very often for minorities in the first place. Oh so it's gosh. like, as we know, the work has always traditionally been targeted for the majority Caucasian audience. So why on earth do you need to dip into this very, very limited pool, which frankly... To be quite honest, if it's non-union work, pays considerably less. Oh, yeah. Know, because I get access to both of those sets of auditions, the, the white auditions and the non-white auditions, and somehow the budgets go way down <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> wow. when there's minority casting involved. So it's like, we're already kind of getting slim pickings, and now, you know, people want to jump into that pool and do it in a way that is completely misrepresentative of the minority experience to begin with. It's just, it's fundamentally wrong on so many levels and it goes way beyond just our feelings. A lot of people are talking about, oh, it's it's facts versus feelings. It's not mm. about our feelings in this. It's about the literal damage you are doing to the perception of our community. It is about you are literally stealing from a very limited financial pot. And again, we are not at an equal playing field. You know, um, I, I do a lot of research as well. And um you know, the statistics regarding, you know, minority income and the wealth gap in this country are are horrendous. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. <laughs> we have had so many systematic exclusions from opportunities to have an equal seat at the table. Um, and it's well beyond just slavery. A lot of people are like, you know, slavery was a long time ago. Get over it. It's not hmm. about that. It's about the systematic ways that we've been held back from passing on generational wealth. So much of wealth that people carry today is from, you know, their parents or their grandparents. We haven't had those opportunities. We're behind. Right. Hiring, discriminatory hiring practices, you know, based on our name or the way we may sound too black on the phone. We don't get Mm -hmm. the same job opportunities. Um, A lot of the job opportunities that are offered to us are considerably lower wages. I mean, I could go on and on and on. We are not starting from the same starting line. Yeah. And to pick up on that, if we look at how we start in VO. Yeah. Right. There's a pretty high barrier of entry there. Absolutely. We have to go in with a demo. Yep. I mean, we get told quickly how we need to coach for our demo. Yep. Well, many of us are in our closets and we're doing it as a hobby because we're trying to figure out, you know what, can I actually make money with my voice? remind you how we've had so many issues with our voice to begin with anyway. And then someone like Tiffany Copeland comes along and says on her Black Girl Voice Over World podcast, they really want your voice, girl. So now they're thinking, you know what, I can actually make money. But then the red flags go up when you need your demo. It costs $2,000. Well, you haven't even tried it. You haven't even gotten your feet wet 
Yeah, exactly. There's no there's no way to try it out. So you're jumping in and you probably are doing it after you get off of work from your full time job. Yep. So you're trying to make your money stretch and that is very discouraging. So it's like there is a system in place to make it harder for people like us to come in. It's Absolutely. A, it's making it harder. And there are these, then these hoops that you have to jump through. You have to go from coach to coach. Well, you're not ready for your demo. Go and try this coach. Well, well, I think you need a little bit more time. It's like we're trying. It's a corporate mindset. There's, I think there is something when it comes to white supremacy and how we look at um, Caucasians as as we did in the workplace, many of us had white bosses, you mm-hmm. know, they they were the the epitome of professionalism growing up. I mean, even starting in my home, I had white Barbie dolls. I, heart, I think I had a black Barbie when I got to college wow. and it was a graduation Barbie. Yeah. Okay, So we have this idea in our in our minds that, you know what, I need to get away from my people because, you know, right. all they do is start mess. You yes. know what I mean? And they're not going anywhere. They're stuck. So in voiceover, we feel like we have to go and do what everybody is telling us to do. They're not referring us to a black producer. We're not getting referred to any black agents. Yeah. We are we're not in the room. There's where is our table? Absolutely. And and that's the, the issue as well. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about just the opportunities to get better. I mean, financially, using Black women as an example, I think Black women are the lowest paid. Um, you know, when you're looking at the value of a dollar, I think it's it's 61 cents to the dollar that a Caucasian male will make. Mm-hmm. And as we know, the industry has traditionally been targeted at Caucasian males. Um, so right off the bat, being able to afford regular coaching to catch up is is a challenge because our dollar isn't, isn't stretching as far as, as it would in other communities. Mm -hmm. So we have to work that much harder to be able to afford the training and then just getting the opportunities in auditions in the past year, maybe two years, I will say I've seen a dramatic increase. And I call that the, uh, I've dubbed it the black Panther effect. (laughs) It's like once black (laughs) Panther proved that, you know what, (laughs) people will buy tickets to, to listen to us. And it's, you know, there's not this big color barrier that that people seem to have in their minds that are going to prevent universal audiences from appreciating good art. But until very recently, we just simply haven't even seen the opportunities come our way right. where we would be considered. The, the, the roles, the specs usually indicate that they want a Caucasian voice or it's implied that it's a Caucasian audience or a Caucasian sound that's required, you know, quote unquote, Caucasian sound. Um, so we haven't even had the daily opportunities to build up our chops and to right. to be at in at, at playing at the same table like you said so right there we're already fundamentally behind and that's a problem that needs to to you know to change it is a problem and so we have to use our platforms you know to create opportunities if if it had not been for the agency that was happened to be in my neighborhood was open to non-talent coming in for their Amazon account that they had. Yeah. They opened up their doors to the community. Yeah. I went in that day and left with an agent. That's amazing. We need more opportunities on the agency level. We absolutely do. Do a little bit more work. You have to do so much more work in your own community to find those voices you're casting for. I had one role I was auditioning for. It was a live audition. 
and they were looking for a poetic kind of voice out of Detroit. Um, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. They were on the phone with me there. Well, this, <laughs> this producer in particular says, girl, keep it real. <laughs> right. So I guess I was... <laughs> <laughs> wasn't we, being we, real. That's code. That's that's more code. <laughs> that's code. And he eventually settled on a Detroit poet. He had to come all the way to Asheville and then right back around to his own neighborhood. Yeah. So on the agency level, we need to be doing more digging to find our local talent. Absolutely. Because the talent is out there, you know, and, you know, back in the day, I understand, you know, people are much busier now in the information age. But back in the day, it used to be a very common practice that agents would develop talent, you know, because I, I really am tired of the excuse that, well, we just can't find enough minority talent who, yeah. you know, have a good enough home studio or mm -hmm. who are who are well versed enough on on using the the audio equipment or whatever excuses I've I've heard and I've heard many. Um it's hmm. like, well, why aren't you developing? You see that there's a need here. You see that there's a growing need, especially after the quote unquote Black Panther effect. Right. So why are you not seeking out um, I've had experiences recently with with a, an agency where it's like they didn't have any representation that I could see. And I'm going, okay, well, where, wh where are your voices? I know these roles are starting to come in. Like who, who is doing the voices, you know? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly when I got on the roster, you know, I'm, I'm getting opportunities very regularly all of a sudden. So I'm going, okay, well, I know these opportunities didn't just show up because I showed up. Huh. So mm -hmm. what has been happening in that divide in between by the time I showed up and and you got not having any representation at the table, what were you doing? I'm sure they weren't rejecting all of those roles, which, you know, leads me to believe that, again, there was some, <laughs> some yeah. alter egos, some personas going on. And, and this is, again, why we need to be at the table. Yes. Let me tell you something. There are far more of them than we know. Oh, yeah. And they're not going to sacrifice their paycheck and come forward and say they've been doing it because they are convinced that it's not wrong. And who are we yeah. to tell them that it's wrong? It has to be a situation where you come to grips within yourself to be able to tell right from wrong. Isn't that sad? We're grown people. We are, you know, and it, it is sad. And, you know, I try to I try to always look at both sides and play devil's advocate, you know. Yeah. And I've seen people having the conversation more and more about you know, um, I, I think, uh, who was it? Chelsea Handler. Like, she's got some new show on Netflix, which is all about investigating, mm -hmm. you know, racism in America. And she's interviewing, you know, white people and asking them, you know, well, do you think there's a lot of racism in this area and blah, blah, blah. And of course, traditionally, the, the answer is always no. Right. But then she asks, she follows up and she's like, well, well, how would would you know anyway? I mean, <laughs> exactly. how would you know? You know, what, what are you expecting to see? that would indicate to you that this sort of thing exists if you're not surrounded by people who are living that experience. How would you know, mm. you know? Exactly. That's That becomes an opinion. So I understand why someone in the majority might say, well, this isn't a problem, and people are just being too sensitive about it, and because they're seeing it from their experience. You can't help but view the world. Mm -hmm. you know, perception is reality, and there that you, you can't perceive what it's like to be discriminated against your race if you have always been on top, you know, I think it yeah. was Louis C.K. who made a joke uh, once, and I know he's not the best reference right <laughs> now, but he made a really interesting point in one of his um, 
segments once about how there has never been a time in history where it's been bad to be a white male. (laughs) It's like I could go in a time machine at -hmm. any point in history and he's like, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) You know, would I want to switch races with anybody? He's like, no. And that was really a stark revelation to me. I was like, you know, he's right. Yeah. You know, he's he's always been at the top of the food chain. So of course, of course he wouldn't know what it's like to be treated rudely because he looks differently. He's going to think if he's treated rudely is because somebody was having a bad day. Of course, that's your assumption because that's your experience. You have no other way to see it. So I get it, but this is why we need to be in the room. But we also not only need to be in the room, we need to be heard. You know, so many times we do try to express our frustrations or share our experience and we're instantly accused of playing <laughs> yeah. the quote unquote card. We're playing a card because we're trying to tell people, no, this happened to me and this is how I feel because it's being regurgitated from the white experience saying, well, that doesn't happen to me. Or if that does happen to me, it's because X, Y, Z. Yeah. Well, of course, because those race factors don't apply and that's so hard to get across, but this is why we have to listen. Yes, we have to listen, and and we spend lots of hours of our time on Facebook groups, don't we? Yes, we do. (laughs) I'm trying to get away from it, but it just keeps (laughs) sucking me back in. Facebook groups are running the world. (laughs) (laughs) But in those groups, you know, it it tends to be a venue where you can vent. You know, it's a safe place for us to talk about our experiences, get feedback. On many occasions, I see Black women say things and try to get someone to understand where they're coming from and it falls on deaf ears and then there's the response of hey well maybe you didn't blah 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 right why don't you try to blah 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 and it goes back to what you were saying because they don't understand and then we are left to feeling like we don't have the help we need because we are being told how we need mentors and how we need we need each other we can't just do it all on our all on our own. We need that to get over it. That's completely different. We have been doing stuff on our own as Black women. We do stuff on our own. It's like a default. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. For us to reach out, we need to know that it's going to be welcome. Which That's is it. why I got so tired of trying to find, trying to find um, someone who could relate in these groups. So I created one. We have that. Black Girl VoiceOver World community, yes. which you're a part of, Mira. Oh, uh, and I cannot <laughs> express to you how grateful I am to be there and that you have done that. You know, it's one of those things that even I didn't realize until recently how important it was mm-hmm. to surround myself with these conversations and have a safe space where we could have these conversations yeah. without these instant knee-jerk reactions you know, one thing that I, I tend to typically see is is when we raise our voice, there's almost an instant knee jerk of, yeah. you know, get over it. Mm-hmm. Quickly. Um, slavery is over. We're all equal now. You're the only one holding yourself back. You're being emotional. Yeah. These aren't facts. And, and so we're constantly denied. We're constantly being invalidated and meant to feel that we're crazy, that we're overreacting, that we're just not trying hard enough. Doesn't that go... With everything else, we have Serena went through what she did with the birth of her daughter. Right. Not being taken seriously. We have Black women dying in their hospital bed giving birth because they've been told to not overreact. Absolutely. It's just, it's unfortunately, it's a part of the air. It really is. It really is. And people don't realize how hard we are working to catch up, you know? Um, Exactly. 
I mean, I'm just, I'm not even going to read all these stats, but just to give some, some brief points, I just read a statistic as of just 2016, three years ago, only 0.2% of venture capital was given to startups run by black women. So as a result, they say many black business owners have to raise capital themselves or start their own businesses or receive funding from their friends and family, which, as we already know, is a very limited pool of wealth. Yeah. Um, yeah. The median wealth for black families is almost 10 times less than white families. We're talking $17,600 versus an average of $171,000 for a white family. That's a big gap. Yeah, it is. You know? Huge. And that's not even addressing all of the other systematic ways that we are denied opportunities to get credit, to get opportunities to, to again, to sit at the table. 80% of Black mothers are the breadwinners in their families. Mm-hmm. And so many of those women are stuck in low-wage service jobs and minimum wage or even below minimum wage jobs. So, again, there's so much financially, if you're looking at, we have this very, very limited financial pool. We're not given the credit, you know, to catch up. So we're having to rely on our own communities to help each other out right? with that tiny pool of wealth. I mean, you can see how we're constantly, systematically kind of challenged to catch up. Yeah. And it looks like that in the voiceover world, too. Absolutely. I had someone look at me and they said, you don't have a demo yet? Yeah. And I think I was one year in at that point. Yeah. Mm. I had to get creative. I got creative with the demo. There was something about it. When I would listen to them, Mara, and I would hear and I would see this professional picture, this nice photograph, headshot, and you see their accolades. And then you listen to the demo. Yeah. Professionally produced, wonderful sound. And they sound like they're reading. Yep. I don't know why that irks me. I, I do know why it irks me. Because they these, weren't ready. Because they invest. Because right. they get out the gate because we come up knowing, you know what, we can't ex- we can't give excuses. We- we're going to make sure we get our seat at the table. We got yep. I got the money. You said I'm going to need that. I'm going to get my demo. Yep. I'm going to get my coaching and we line it up because we're going to prove to them that we need we we actually have there's room for us. We're going to prove that's right by getting all we're going to get our coaches and we get all these things going and we can't book. Right. It pisses me off <laughs> to hear the stories. When I mean, it really hurts me to my core because we yeah. we work so hard. Yes, we do. And then we get told, "Well, your demo, it's just yeah." What do you mean, yeah? That's three thousand dollars of yeah. That's six months of yeah. <laughs> right. So, what are you gonna do about it? Yeah. What are you gonna do to change this? These these people who are at the table, they get these same auditions and these same demos, and they have these same problems. But use your platform. Yeah. Like Mara was saying, you know, to have, I didn't even know they actually opened up their doors to the community beforehand because I've only been at two years, but it's a, it's a growth process. We cultivate the voice. Absolutely. There's women that we, you just mentioned, Mara, who can't, who are in that gap, who can't afford a demo, but they have that voice that you will book if you heard them. If you sat there and you directed them, they would do exactly what you need them to do. Absolutely. It's our job to cultivate the talent instead of accepting where they are when they come out the gate because we don't have the same opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I think uh, both of you have done an incredible job of explaining to those of us who are not in a racial minority how this industry and (laughs) the wider world isn't a colorblind industry and world, you know. Um, I just want to finish up. Now, this isn't 
obviously your responsibility to educate those of us who are not in your position, but what do you wish people who act defensively when this is brought up, how should they educate themselves to get out of their bubble? I would say for starters, don't take it personal. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of times what tends to happen is, you know, when a minority raises their voice about an injustice they've experienced or perceived injustice or some sort of systematic exclusion, and they try to bring that issue to the table, there's almost this defensiveness you know, that we we tend to see where people take it personally. It's like, well, okay, well, I'm white and you're saying that I feel that way and I, I know I'm not racist and I don't feel this way and blah, blah, blah. So therefore, nobody feels that way and you need to get over it. And I think it's like, step back. Mm-hmm. Maybe we are not speaking directly to you. You are not the person who right. is at the hand of these injustices. However, don't immediately invalidate our experience because you don't want to be associated with the conversation because that conversation happens to be about your race. You know what I mean? It's like we're not speaking about every single person, but we do need someone to listen. If everyone is just closing their ears saying, la, 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 not a problem, sorry, you know, it doesn't change the experience and it doesn't change the fact that the problem is going on. So I would say practice being more objective and just listen. I was very surprised at some of the reactions I've seen in in the conversations that have been having about this this blackface and voiceover concept. There were so many knee-jerk reactions from Caucasians where they were just like, you know, well, people are just emotional and, and, you know, whatever. It was just an instant, like, not even like, you know what? I never thought about it that way. I would just wish more people would just stop and say, I never thought about it from that perspective. I hear you. Mm. That that alone yes. would, would, would do so much. I've seen those. I've seen a couple of those. Yeah. And it's so welcome. You know, I have to say. I've heard from many white people that oftentimes they're they're they want to have the conversations, but they're terrified of asking the wrong question or getting backlash. And you know, granted, there are people of all kinds and all races, and some people can be super sensitive because this is a a raw, sensitive topic, and sometimes emotions get heated. But at the end of the day, I can pretty much guarantee you the majority, of minorities you speak with want to have that conversation. They want to tell you their experience. They want you to hear. They want us to find a way to meet in the middle so we can make the change. But that will never happen if people are too afraid to talk to each other or don't feel they have the right to ask a question. I hear that a lot too. Well, I don't have the right to ask. Well, of course you do. If you don't have the right, who does? Mm-hmm. Things will not change. That's the definition of ignorance. If we're just going to say, I want to stick to not knowing, I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to stick with my assumptions. Well, <laughs> that is breeding ignorance. It is. And, you know? Yeah. So that would be my first suggestion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. What about you, Tiffany? Well, I would like to speak specifically to those women who who met that need, right? Mm-hmm. So they have mm-hmm. talent. You know, they learned and they have perfected their Black girl voice. They've booked these jobs. They've gotten validation with that. They've added that voice to their bag of voiceover tools. Mm. There is something that's tugging at you in in light of this whole conversation. Do something about it. Mm-hmm. I've heard I can go to Voice One Two Three right now and find someone who has a black voice, and they're not black. Yeah. So do something about it. Have a conversation with another voice actor that's close to you and really just 
what this is really meant to do is start a conversation yeah. all over the VO world so that we can start talking about and changing. It's one thing to talk about something. It's another thing to act on it. Yeah. So I'm specifically asking these women, now that you know that Black girls like me are competing with you to be a Black voice on the next Disney ad or the next, you know, Tiffany's ad or whatever it may be, now that you know that, what are you going to do to change it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you, both of you. That was such an enlightening discussion and it was a real privilege to uh, have you talk to me about this. Um, so. How do people find out more about you guys? So, Mira, where, where do people go to find out more about you? Let's see. Well, I guess to find out more, I've been trying to get off of Facebook, so I won't recommend <laughs> Facebook, but <laughs> I know Instagram's kind of the same thing, but you can kind of find me a little bit more on Instagram, and uh, I've been tweeting a bit more regularly, so uh, you can look for me on Instagram. My username is my last name, Juno, J-U-N-O-T, me, 23, or you can find me on Twitter at uh, handle is Mara Juno. That's with a silent T at the end, or my website, marajuno.com. Great. Tiffany? Excellent. So you can find me at tiffanyjcopeland.com. Also, Black Girl VO, like voiceover, blackgirlvoworld.com. On Instagram, I'm Tiff Acting Up. That's T-I-F-F-A-C-T-I-N-G-U-P. It's fitting, don't you think? I, I love that. I would I say I'm it. acting up. <laughs> and go on, go ahead and promote your podcast on this podcast. It's totally cool. <laughs> yes, definitely. My podcast celebrates the Black Girl Voice. We also bring in knowledge from agents and we just like to switch it up here and there. I just had a 10-week series with um, some real truths, like some hard truths about your business and mm. the voiceover. This is not just fun. This is yeah. a business that we have to, it's a small business. So yeah, you can listen to my podcast and you can also, if you're online, I have a podcast page. So if you're running through and you just want to grab something, I have you can listen to any of the episodes there. And I have casting. Black Girl VoiceOver World Casting is a platform that I created. It's a free casting service for the client and free for the talent. If you're looking for a Black girl, we are casting. We have Black women voices. You don't have to fiddle through a whole bunch of voices that may not even be Black girls. No more excuses. <laughs> no excuses. I that's, that's my solution that's that I've created. And two women have actually booked real work. Yes. And, and that's, that's the validation in that is that I'm creating a, a straight process because we're a business. It's a voiceover is supposed to be business to business. We don't yes. necessarily need a middle entity. Right. Now, right. it can benefit us in many ways, but we have to understand that that's a core value in being a small business. An entrepreneur is that having that business to business. So that's what Black Girl VoiceOver Worldcasting creates. It's an opportunity to get work, not even having an agent. You may not even have a demo. Yeah. These are, And I love the fact that these clients are willing to work with the talent and find somewhere for them to go and record. That that's They're affecting change by doing that. Yeah. And demos, I mean, are becoming less and less relevant in, in many Thank cases you. anyway. I mean, yeah. people want to hear the audition. As we know, demos can be highly manufactured. Exactly. So, you know, so grateful that you were doing that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you both for joining me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having us, James. So much fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks, as always, to our guests, our sponsor, JMC Demos, and to Backstage Magazine. And a special shout-out goes to Patreon super member Angus McLeod. 
Don't forget to connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at VO School Podcast. And for early access to episodes and for other perks, become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash VO School. I'll see you again next time.